talk about a man born into the greatest generation. A man who fought for our country in its most desperate time of need to protect its greatest right. The American right to be an asshole. And then he came back and was talented enough to become part of the golden age of Hollywood. But was somehow likable enough to stay relevant even into our modern time. A man so charming and charismatic that both mobsters and presidents alike not only allowed for his ridicule, but welcomed his insults with open arms. This man was an innovator in being a wise-ass, and for the sarcastic assholes in all of us, he was the one that put us on the map. Today, we dissect the life of a man who needs no introduction. Would you welcome Mr. Warmth, Don Rickle. Okay, it's not a Jewish holiday. We can sit. Episode of the DTF podcast. My name is illustrious Samuel K. Norton, and you are my listener, my lover, my ouvantant, uh, as the Moroccans would say in Morocco in a cartoon in the 1950s, because that's not a word. I don't know Moroccan, but I know you, so thank you for joining me again. Today, yes, we are talking about the great, fantastic, Someone who is on my Mount Rushmore of comedy, the one and only Don Rickles, Mr. Warmth himself. Uh, I sat down to do another uh, podcast taping, and I just got headlong into this. Uh, Before we get into Don Rickles, I want to say what he means to me. Um, I buy... Uh, very few comedy DVDs anymore, mainly because DVDs are on their way out. You know, I can just find shit on YouTube or Netflix or, uh, you know, download it, I guess, off of iTunes if I want to. But Don Rickles is one of those comics who, by sheer personality alone, I will still very much fork out money for a DVD on. And not only that, he is the only comic I went out of my way to get their DVD. Uh, there's a box set of his kind of greatest uh, greatest hits on television and appearances and episodes. And there's also a documentary of his that was in this box set. And I searched around. So I was in uh, Canada looking for it when I went up to go hang out with my, my in-laws. I was searching for it up there. And then finally my wonderful wife found it online. But... 
I, I, I can breathe in Don Rickles uh, any time that I want because he is just that important to me. And why? Because he's a smart ass. I love you. You guys know me by now. I love smart. I love. I love people who are able to carry a, a huge stick. Uh, not physically, but mentally. Someone who is able to just command an audience, even though they're not commanding physically, you know? To, to be able to have that presence. And Don Rickles uh, has that in spades. There, there's, there's no one like Don Rickles, and I don't honestly think there will ever be another one like him. And to be, and I, to be a little morbid, I, I apologize, but this does come off the heels of uh, news of... Gene Wilder passing, uh, who I will do a podcast soon, uh, very soon about, but, uh, you know, there's been so many great comedians and artists between, you know, Joan Rivers and Prince dying this last year and a half, I, I am worried about Don, and I want people to know about him and appreciate him, and go fucking see him still while he's still around, because he is... The great. I'm not even going to say one of the greats. He is the great. He is on the throne right now as the greatest living comedian of all time. Uh, at least right now. He's the greatest living comedian. Um, someone will, you know, take up that mantle as unfortunately always happens, but his comedy will always live on. Now that we started on a on a sad note uh, of how much that man needs to him, means to me, and I, I just... I wish I was able to meet him, you know? I, I want to I wanna try to push that through. So now, if you guys are going, who the fuck is Don Rickles, right? Some of you may be doing that. Like, who the fuck is this guy that Sam is just sucking his old, wrinkly dick, right? Well, let me tell you, right? Don Rickles was born Don J. Rickles. Uh, he was born in 1926 in Jackson Heights, New York. That's Long Island, New York. He is part of a Jewish family, Masa and Edda. Oh, sorry, Max and Edda uh, are his parents, Max and Edda Rickles. The, he was an only child. Now, because of that, he, he did create a huge affection for his mother. He is fiercely loyal and was very close to his mother. Uh, I think that's where uh, a lot of his friendships come from, which we will talk down the line. But especially after his father passed away when he was around 27 years old, um, who, weird anecdote, uh, I heard him in an interview say when, he, when his father passed away, he got the news right before he went up at a nightclub. I think he was in Florida at the time. And uh, I think his manager leaned into him right before he went up on stage and was like, Don, I got to tell you, your father just passed away. And he went up and he said he did one of the best sets of his life, probably because you were just trying to stay out of that emotion, you know what I mean? And uh, when he got off, then the news hit him. But then he went back home and he found out that his cousin, I guess, was a... EMT, I don't know if they had EMTs back then, but it was like a local EMT, he got the call and didn't know that he was going to like save the life of, or trying to save the life of like his uncle, so his cousin was there trying to revive his father who like, I think had a heart attack on the street, just in the middle of the street, so very sad moment, um, but he went back and, you know, he persevered as he always does, uh, he... He affectionately uh, nicknamed his mother, who was also a very strong, persevering uh, woman. He nicknamed his mother the Jewish Patton 
because she strongly and uh, passionately, just with sheer personality, uh, commanded the respect of everyone around her. Uh, Don was actually quoted in saying, in my experience, this is Don saying this, in my experience, only Frank Sinatra garnered that level of instant respect. Uh, so his, I think he got a lot of... I think I got a lot of his personality from his mother, just his his charm and pizzazz uh, from his mom. So you, you can definitely see echoes of how he thought about her and then a reflection of himself and his mom, or vice versa. I guess he's a reflection of his mother, not the other way around. Now, uh, that's how he grew up. Uh, Don did serve in World War II. He was a naval seaman first class in the Pacific Theater, mainly in and around the Philippine Islands. Uh, he fought there for a couple of years, and after being uh, honorably, not dishonorably, but honorably discharged in 1946, Rickles moved back to New York City and began his career in show business when he enrolled and then studied at the prestigious American Academy of Dramatic Arts. He did graduate, and uh, he wanted to... Don was one of... And here's the thing about older comedians. Uh, back then, there was no real stand-up. I mean, there was, like, vaudeville acts and the circus, but there was no what we now know as, you know, Kevin Hart-type stand-up, where you're like, all right, I'll tool around the clubs for a little bit. I'll hopefully get a TV show or get recognized on fucking YouTube or Instagram or whatever the fucking path is now, uh, podcast now that I'm participating in this. Uh, then, you know, I get movies and build up that way. No, Don went to, he, he wanted to be a dramatic actor. He wanted to be a, a thespian, I guess you could say. And so he did, he did a little stage work and, um, then... He, I mean, he, he went on to be very successful as an actor. Uh, it's just tooling around in obscurity for some reason because his stand-up became such a bright, shining star. It's like, it's like trying to see a candle behind a spotlight. Don's personality as a, a comedian and that how much he innovated stand-up. Uh, was really it made it hard to see how good of an actor and how uh, kind of uh, uh, not prolific but uh, per oh shit the, the, he, he was just everywhere right and this is what I mean by this okay he got out of the the arts he started working in clubs to like make money in between like acting gigs and then that became his act and he moved down to Florida then eventually went out uh, to Vegas and became a big star which we'll get into but just to give you guys an idea of how much he's done in the industry how much he's done in Hollywood he went to star in almost 30 feature films from when he started right he started back in the 1950s uh, these movies included hits like Rat Race Kelly's Heroes Casino in Toy Story 1, 2, and 3. He was Mr. Potato Head. I don't know if you guys know that. Mr. Potato Head going, ah, you uncultured swine, you hockey puck. The reason that Mr. Potato Head is so insulting is because he's just doing Don's act. He's being Don Rickles, right? He also starred in one of my favorite movies, which was Dirty Works. Uh, nod and a wink to maybe next week's episode. Uh, and I'll, I'll probably play... Yeah, I'll guarantee, I'll guarantee you guys this. I will play that clip of Don Rickles uh, in Dirty Works, because it's fucking funny. Uh, now, 
he 30, fi- 30 feature films. That's an insane amount of feature films for some of you to go like, who the fuck is Don Rickles, right? But they were like classic 1950 films. He was just never in any like huge blockbusters. He was never in a fucking Star Wars, you know? Now, in television, that's just films, guys. In television, Don has, and this is in the words of the immortal Johnny Carson, who you heard at the beginning of this episode. Uh, This is in the words of Johnny Carson. He said about Don's television career, Don Rickles has had more failed pilots than the Japanese Air Force. (laughs) Because he's starring and guesting uh, since he started in 1955. He starred and guested in more than 39 TV shows, right? That's not episodes. That's, like other tv shows right not just episodes that's whole tv shows 39 from 1955 up until now that's that's nearly uh one at least one appearance per year from 1955 do you understand how pervasive you have to be in hollywood to be able to have that long and involved career 39 tv shows and that's not even counting the, the amount of times he did each episode, or counting the, I think he's one of the record holders for being on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, uh, Leno, and Fallon. He's gone through all three of those guys. So, barring those appearances too, he's just, if, if you're my age, which I'm 30 years old, if you're my age or younger, You know, we know him from Toy Story and seeing him pop up here and there. But if you're like my parents who are part of the Baby Boomers, Don Rickles is... There's nobody bigger than him. Because he was fucking everywhere all the goddamn time. You couldn't go to the movies, you couldn't turn on your TV show. You probably couldn't even turn on a fucking radio without listening to him. That's how great he was. And now, that's how great he was, right? We'll even talk past tense. Now, in his nearly 60 years in show business... He has befriended the the whole rack pack, right? Which is Dean, Sammy, Peter, Joey, and old Blue Eyes himself, Frank Sinatra. And Frank and Rickles were so close that Frank affectionately referred to Frank Sinatra affectionately nicknamed Don Rickles as Bullethead. Okay? I can't tell you guys how fucking cool that is. That like that Frank Sinatra give, is a personal friend of yours at some point, and he gives you a fucking <laughs> he gives you a nickname. That's like it's like Jesus giving you a nickname. That, that's like Jesus giving Peter uh, or you know Judas the nickname old old Stabby Back or so, I don't know. That's probably not a good example, old Stabby Back. But like giving Peter old uh, old Say No or something. Like, fucking Frank Sinatra gives you is such good friends that he not only helps build your career, which he did, Frank Sinatra fucking helped him go to the stratosphere, uh, mainly with his mob connections, which we'll get... Actually, we'll get into that now. So, the first time that uh, Frank uh, met... Um, or, uh, sorry, that uh, Don Rickles met Frank Sinatra was in a one of those clubs in Florida when he was first starting out. Uh, I believe this was back in the 1950s. Um, he started he started early 1950s and then became a club act and was tooling around in like clubs and lounges. Well, he was down in Florida and fucking Frank Sinatra walks in to watch his show. 
and Don Rickles, with all the balls that he fucking always had, because he, he was just that guy from the beginning of just being able to bust balls and be nice. Frank Sinatra in the 50s, who you couldn't get bigger, right? That's like trying to make fun of Jordan in the 90s, trying to make fun of LeBron fucking five, ten years ago, or making fun of... I don't even know who the fuck now. There's no, I mean, there, there's nobody that was that big. Uh, it's like making fun of Michael Jackson or... Uh, Elvis in their prime, right? This 1950s Frank Sinatra is what I'm trying to get to you guys. Nobody fucking bigger. Plus the mob's backing him. You gotta be scared shitless, right? So he walks in. Don Rickles says immediately, uh, and I quote, right? This is from an interview that I found. says, I just saw your movie, The Pride and the Passion, and I want to tell you, the canon's acting was great. Yours, not so much. Then he said, uh, Frank... Thank you. Uh, please make yourself at home. Hit somebody. Because <laughs> Frank was known about getting into in fights back then. So he's tearing down Frank. He's never met Frank Sinatra. Just shows up to his fucking show. And then he's just busting his balls in front of everybody. He's dressing down the fucking old blue eyes right there in front of everybody. In the, in the height of his career. And luckily Frank loved it. And they became fast friends. Frank actually... Uh, I think he took him out as his opening act for a while, helped him get into Vegas, helped him get into clubs. There's another great story. So, like, these guys, the Rat Pack and the kind of old-school club acts that work these uh, these lounge rooms, like Buddy Hackett, uh, Red Fox, uh, Don Rickles, all these guys, they had to, they had to play in the kind of underbelly of... Uh, you know, the 1950s and 60s. You had a bunch of mob bosses tied into all this shit. Um, the Copacabana is a perfect example. Another story that I heard Don tell in an interview. Um, there was a guy named Ju- Jules, uh, Jules Paldel. Sorry, Jules Paldel. He was the manager, uh, and you guys can't see me. I'm putting manager in quotations right now. He's the manager of the Copacabana. Now, if you guys don't know the Copacabana... If you've ever seen the movie Goodfellas, that long scene where, uh, you know, they go through the basement and then they go through the kitchen and they come out and they're in the showroom, that's the Copacabana. The Copacabana was a big, uh, it was like the nightclub back in the, I think, 50s and 60s, and it was a, it was a huge fucking deal, right? Anybody that worked there, it was, uh, I'm trying to think, like Studio 54 in the in the 70s, like that type of thing. Now it opened in 1974. By this time, it was the thing, right? And uh, the, the manager Jules, he saw Don's act. Uh, his man, uh, Don's manager, went to Jules and was like, "Hey, you know, we'd love to get Don. He's he's on fire. He's doing very well. Can we get him to work at the Culpa for the next month or whatever?" And Jules is like, "No, he's." He, he's gonna insult my customers. I don't want that trash in my club. Uh, uh, we have a little bit more class. No offense to you, Don. Uh, and so he was he was trying to be diplomatic, but he was like, "No, we're not gonna have that in my club." Well, uh, I guess Don Rickles, his manager, went above Jules' head. Now you go, how did he go above Jules' head? Wasn't he the manager? Yes, technically he was the one who was on the lease. But Frank Costello. A notorious crime boss in uh, in the 50s, 60s, uh, who became part. He actually became the leader, the godfather of the Luciano crime family. 
he was the actual owner of the culpa. Uh, and so he went to him, and Frank Costello loved Don Rickles' act and said, uh, yeah, Jules, uh, these guys are cleaning their guns, so I think you need to probably make a different decision. So he came back the next day and was like, Don, I think you're one of the greatest comedians of our time. And then he got into the Copacabana and worked there for a while. It's like, yeah, he just had greasy, greasy hands to get into that business. And I, I of course, am, uh, you know, putting rose-colored glasses on something that was probably terrifying to be in. But what a goddamn story that he got into the Copa. And then he became... Uh, and I'm sure through very similar connections became a hit in Las Vegas was out there I think he said that he was in La- he's been in Las Vegas in and out of Las Vegas for the last like 30 years he built he helped build through his lounge act he helped build the fucking Las Vegas that we know it's very corporate now but back then it was just all mob bosses trying to bring people in and you know nobody was hotter as a comedian than Don Rickles and brought he helped build Las Vegas how crazy is that he's one of the he he built one of he helped build one of the best known cities not only in the country but in the world you say Las Vegas people immediately know and guess what this man that we're talking about today helped build that fucking whole goddamn city Right? Uh, well, and, you know, Frank Sinatra also did help, too. And I, I just, I love that those stories are part of his character. Because you know what? That's who Don was. That's what I said at the very beginning. That presidents who he has performed for, uh, we're actually going to play a clip from that here in a second. But he performed for you know, these very intimidating people, mob bosses and stuff, and I have had the... Luxury is probably the wrong... (laughs) Probably the wrong uh, word to say, but I have had the experience of performing for um, at least what I thought was known to be known mob bosses in Kansas City. There was a a lounge that I played uh, a couple of times, and holy shit, uh, they were definitely guys that you got a sense of, I don't want to piss these guys off. Here's the thing, I'm also a wise-ass, you guys know this about me, I love busting balls, I love, I, I love mean shit, and sometimes that comes out in my act, right? Sometimes I play with the audience, and I'll tell you one thing, uh, I'm not afraid to admit it, I pussed out whenever I was there, I was like, you know what, keep your fucking mouth to yourself. And I'm a hothead. I'll fucking spew off to anybody. But if I know know or even think that you're a goddamn mob boss, guess what? My fucking asshole's puckering up and I ain't spewing shit nowhere. (laughs) But Don was like, no, fuck it. I'm just going to go after people. Uh, And maybe he wasn't thinking about consequences or maybe he just had Frank Sinatra in his pocket so he didn't have to worry. So here's the thing, right? He's 30 feature films. He's been in 39 TV shows over the last however many years, nearly 60 years, right? And even today, right? I looked this up right before I started recording, just just out of curiosity, right? Uh, His birthday was back in May of 2016. He is now 90 years old. 90 years old, mind you, right? And in the year 2015, he had... 25 weeks of work, right? It's like half the year. He's 89, working half the year. Which, how many fucking 
89 year olds do not do that. Now, I was then like, okay, what's he doing in 2016? How's his health? <laughs> At the time this is airing, if you go to his website and you go to mine, mine is uh, isamcomedy.com, you go to his and you go to mine, he has just as many, if not more, weeks of work than I do. A 30-year-old working comedian, career comedian, Sam Norton, has less fucking dates than Don Rickles at age 90. Working dates. Fucking bastard. Like, that's how great he is, is that even after all this time, he's still hot and relevant. And you know what? Even if you say, ah, he's not relevant, I don't even know who he is, then fuck you, because he's at least still working. How many people do you know have 60-year careers, let alone 60-year careers in show business, let alone successful 60-year careers in show business. And he's been married the whole time. That's another thing. He's fucking fantastic. Like, he, he's, he's not only a good guy, but he's talented on top of that. How many people do you, do you know, even in life, I'm not even saying like in show business or fucking anything, how many people do you know at all uh, that have that type of longevity, both balancing career and spouse? His spouse, by the way, is named Barbara. She seems very nice. I don't know her. I haven't heard any interviews of her, but the way that he, the way that Don in interviews that I've heard, because I am a huge nerd about him, uh, the way he talks about Barbara's. uh, uh, quite quite genuine, quite lovely, and uh, quite bemusing. He, uh, and, and the thing is, he's had lasting relationships, like I said, with Frank Sinatra, and uh, God bless his soul, he's gone now. But he's had one of the longest show business friendships with another great comedian, Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart, if you guys don't know, you know what, fuck it. You guys, you guys can look Bob Newhart up. He's an amazing comedian. Uh, anybody my age, you'll probably know him as the dad from, uh, Elf, the movie Elf with Will Ferrell. He's the Elf dad, okay? He's much more than that, but please look up Bob Newhart if you don't know him. But they, they kind of grew up in comedy together. Uh, they, they found each other through the lounge circuits, and they couldn't be more different, right? Don Rickles is this bombastic, wise-ass, and Bob Newhart, uh, sorry, let, let me, let me tell you all the differences, right? Don Rickles, bombastic, wise-ass, who's had a very tenured career in television and film, albeit a uh, tumultuous (laughs) career in television, right? Failed pilots more than the Japanese uh, Air Force. We got that one, right? He hasn't had a lot of luck with television. Whereas Bob Newhart, also a very good comedian, but he's more reserved, monotone, uh, kind of reserved type of a guy and television he had uh, quite a few hit television shows for his time uh, they both lasted through show business together and been quite relevant uh, like I said Don Rickles part of Toy Story for my generation Bob Newhart's part of Elf for my generation like th- these guys were old as shit and still staying relevant and hot from opposite sides of the spectrum but they've been friends for so many fucking years and uh, both them and their wives travel around together and have just a, a wonderful life together. Um, now, at this point, um, you guys are listening to a bunch of history of Don Rickles and going, 
well, when are we going to get to the dice section? We will here in a second. I'm going to turn this into my first part one, part two. Because I do very much cherish Don Rickles. And right now, I want to just give my my favorite anecdotes and love and cherishing of him. And then on the next one, we will uh, dissect his actual comedy. But Don Rickles is part of a, a piece in Hollywood history that I think anybody who gets into show business has some uh, monicum of uh, nostalgia for, even though we didn't live it, you know? Dressing up on the red carpet, dressing up at shows, wearing tuxes. Like, Don had a uh, Las Vegas show for the longest time uh, at every Las Vegas casino <laughs> uh, ever. From the Golden Nugget, Stardust, the Rio. Uh, fucking, he was everywhere, right? Everybody fucking passed him around. Because he's been in Vegas since its inception. Don's show, um, from what I've... I never got to see it live, unfortunately, but from what I've seen, was a very classic show. He had a full band. He had kind of his Ed McMahon, his, like, helper guy. Uh, he did, uh, you know, hour, hour and a half of show and musicals, and he wore tux the whole time. And that kind of old-school entertainment, um, no matter how indie, club traditional, non-traditional you are, I think there's some bit of every entertainer that has that in their mind of of a real, gold, like, a golden age, you know, a thing of really giving, maybe not enjoying the uh, pompousness of it, I can understand that, but I think every, at least every comedian I know, we all kind of yearn for a day, maybe not that day or the day, but a day where our our art. I I I think it's not too pretentious to call what I what I do and what comedians do as an art or a form of entertainment, but giving it the same relevance that you would a night out on the town. That's what Don Rickles represents to me is that when comedy was still such a little visceral, hey, let's go be naughty at this comedy club type thing. I, I don't think it's ever lost that. But uh, it was more of, a, of an event. You know, you dressed up, you went out to dinner, it became a, a real thing. Now it seems uh, so accessible. And, and not knocking anybody. If, if you've listened to me at a comedy club and you've won shorts before, that's okay. That's what we're at now. But kind of long for the day where you assholes were, you know, were fucking suit to tie, you know, dresses, suits to ties, it became an event, you know, and, and here's the thing, this is where the, the hypocrisy comes for me, right, I long for those days where it's like, oh shit, people are dressing up to come see this, but nowadays, if you dress up to see an event like that, you're probably a stuck up asshole, and I don't, like, my favorite times at shows are at, like, roadhouses, and everybody's, like, spitting in the cups, those are my people, I'm also white trash, but, like, those are my people, I'm like, yeah, we all, we're all kind of a grimy, we're a grimier bunch, right? But I think, back in the day, and I think Don proves this to me, pe people like Henny Youngman and stuff like that don't really prove it to me, but people like Don Rickles prove it to me, and Lenny Bruce in a way, too, that you could dress up and be an event, but we could all be grimy adults in that. There was some, I don't know, there, there's some bit of, uh, 
romanticizing in that aspect of thinking that, you know, this is an event, but it's not an event we need to take seriously, if that makes any sense at all. And I, I like that idea. And I think that the Rat Pack kind of influenced that. Uh, and I think that uh, Don Rickles and, to an extent, Lenny Bruce, in a way, Lenny Bruce wasn't really a suit and tie guy, but Don Rickles, for sure, and Newhart, uh, all of them were, were kind of that. It, it, was, it was showing a, a sense of respect for the show, a sense of respect for the, the entertainment that you are buying. It wasn't just a... Hey, honey, let's go fucking see a movie and put our feet up on the goddamn seats. It was, hey, let's let's really try to uh, sh- show some reverence for for what what we're about to experience, right? I'm one of those people that when I go to a movie, I don't do it, but when I go to a show, I'll, you know, I'll put on a little something something if I can, you know, I'll. Um, if it's in a theater or something, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to dress up a little bit. You know, I fucking paid for it. The building was paid for. It's it's nice. I want to see. Uh, I want to I want to feel fancy for a night. Is that weird? I hope it's not. But I like feeling fancy. <laughs> and the great thing about Don, right? So when all this is going on, right? So let me let me put a juxtaposition here. When all when everybody's feeling fancy, right? You go to a fucking Frank Sinatra concert. Everybody's like, "Oh, we're gonna go to this concert. We're gonna, we're gonna listen to one of the greatest song singer writers of all time. We're gonna feel romantic. We're gonna kiss each other. We're gonna have a nice steak dinner and some wine. And then Don Rickles comes out in his nice tuxedo, looks at you, and says, "Is this your wife? Jesus, you married a moose!" And then immediately you're off to the races. The juxtaposition of being in this high-class environment and having this kind of blue-collar, go-fuck-yourself attitude is a wonderful, wonderful thing that I don't think is done at all. Not at all. I'm sure there are shows out there that I'm not aware of, but it is very rarely done. And Don Rickles, I, I can't... I can't emphasize enough how much just that atmosphere alone, all right? Barring getting into his jokes, just that atmosphere alone is a, 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 a great environment to grow comedy, right? There are some environments that are not good for comedy, right? This is a little inside baseball, but this is why you guys come to this fucking podcast, right? Some of you don't perform in comedy. That's great, right? I will tell you some of the worst joints you can perform at. Charity shows. We do it because we love the charity, but charity shows are never, ever set up for comedy. One... There's probably people dying, right? That's the whole tone of the fucking charity. There's someone dying, someone dead. Now it's like, all right, fucking give it up for uh, Mrs. McMillan, who her child died last week. Uh, We're all here for her, everyone. Uh, So we're going to give as much as possible. Now coming to the stage, a comedian. Like, that's not good. (laughs) Nobody's ready to fucking laugh. So then you got to dance around everything. And two, right, at charity shows, a lot of times, if you've ever been to, like, a nice banquet, right, there's round tables, everybody's kind of communicating, and there's waiters walking around. Round tables suck. Nobody's facing the right direction. You laugh. You're staring at somebody laugh. That's fucking weird. Nobody wants to see someone's laugh face. That's like seeing their O face. It's the closest thing in polite society that you can see to someone coming. Just, ah! Nobody wants to fucking see that. So nobody laughs that much, right? So that's the only place where you get that kind of 
class, classy thing anymore, right? Whereas back then, it was theater seating, everybody dressed up, you still had that kind of class, but then you had the atmosphere to set up for comedy, to where everybody wasn't staring at each other's fucking O-face, they had a couple of drinks in them, and nobody said, hey, Jimmy's kid just died. So it was... There was, a, there was a nice setup for comedy, and Don thrived in it. Not only thrived in it, but he, he innovated it. He lifted it. He empowered it. He made it his own, and he, maybe he killed it. Maybe that's the reason why we don't see that much of it anymore is because who the fuck's going to top Don Rickles on what the fuck he does? I, I don't know, a single goddamn person. Maybe Jimmy Pardo? Maybe? Doubtful, though. I love Jimmy Pardo, but I don't think he can go head-to-head with Don fucking Rickles. Jimmy Pardo is also a great comic. Please look him up. We'll probably talk about him, you know, somewhere down the line. Talking about, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll put him into DTF of, like, uh, I don't know, hecklers or crowd work or some shit like that. Anyways, the clip that we're going to get onto um, is back in the 1980s during the Reagan administration, Don Rickles... Uh, got asked to basically roast Ronald Reagan. Get the roast Ronald Reagan. This was a huge, huge venue. Uh, we're going to listen to the clip. We'll come back in. I've been talking enough. Uh, we'll come back in. I'll explain everything that we'll talk about. But just enjoy it for what it is. All right? There needs to be no introduction. Just know that there's celebrities here. It was a big event. Ronald Reagan's right there. He's roasting the president of the United States back in the 1980s. It's Don Rickles. Enjoy the fuck out of yourselves. I know this is a Republican celebration, but I have the honor of introducing a man who is so democratic, he picks on everybody equally, even a little kid like me, Mr. Don Rickles. funny. First black kid I ever saw that'll definitely never play basketball. I asked you, huh? 40 million stars. I get a little kid out here, doesn't know what time it is, and brings me out, and you're standing here with the band with the same cockamamie music. Da, 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 da. Try to learn that the president's here. This is a big shot for me. Last night we had Bush. Well, but I'll tell you this. He was great. Did you see him and the wife after the show? He was in the lobby going, nobody knows me. I gave him a cookie. He went away. He didn't know what time it was. I'll be with you in a minute. I'll tell you this. Did you see some of his movies? Stiffs. I'll tell you this. How this guy became president. When he was governor, I couldn't get in touch with him. I had a cousin, did three months, three months in a county jail. I made a phone call. I said, give me a break. He was too busy. Tied up. Wouldn't make that. He's now doing 14 years, and he's the president of the United States, sitting in the White House with Nancy, walking around going, that Rickles cousin is doing a lot of time. <laughs> Good evening, Mr. President. Nice to see you, sir. And your lovely wife, Nancy. It's, it's a big treat for me to fly all the way from California to be here for this kind of money. <laughs> See, I still got the tuxedo marked down. Anyway, you need 38 tags to get in here. 38 tags. The, the Secret Service is walking around the lobby. Did you see the president? Anybody see the president? Where's the president? 
the president is with Nancy in the hall going, let's try it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when you were governor and you used to walk over to my table? <laughs> now you're big and you're getting on my nerves. I'll tell you this. Is he laughing? If you see Marines coming towards me, go into glory, glory, hallelujah, and shoot Webster. Anyway, nice to see you, Secretary Schultz. What are you doing in town? Anyway, uh, he's sitting there like there's nothing going on. Get busy. Over to the embassy, have a bucket of beluga. Anyway, uh, Secretary of State's here, and Billy Graham, nice to see you, sir. This hand is bothering me. Anyway, it could have been a picture if I've talked to this guy. It's great, though. I make fun of the president. Why not? I make fun of everybody in the world. That's America. Laughing, Charlton Heston. I'm a friend. It's over. I'll tell you this. If you were Moses, I was a Mau Mau fighter pilot. <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor was backstage in a Cleopatra outfit killing snakes. I'll tell you this. And Tom Selleck was under the shower going, look at this, the water runs up. I'll tell you this. <laughs> Is this too fast, Ronnie? Anyway, uh... He's sitting there looking at the program going, where does he say he makes fun of me? Where does it say that? It's only a joke, Mrs. Reagan. <laughs> they got real guns. I spoke to the hospital, Nelson. You died about an hour ago. I say this, though. Is this too fast, Secretary Schultz? What do you talk to that Russian about? You must sit, oh, look at the way you're dressed. The tuxedo's out of style. Class it up a little bit. He's wearing a fake dickie when the button goes boom. <laughs> Mr. President, get some guy that's a little hep. Get some guy walking in. Let's talk, man. Let's talk. <laughs> He's 90. Let's have a meeting. <laughs> that's what they do in Florida, the old Jewish folks. Hold the elevator. I must say, this is a joyous occasion, really. I personally voted for Wilkie. But I'll tell you this. To you, Mrs. Reagan, lovely Mrs. Reagan, to you, our dear president, may God be good to you and yours for the coming four years and beyond that. You're a great gentleman and a great credit to the country. May he give you health, the almighty, and may you reign as long as you wish. God bless. Don Rickles, uh, Ronald Reagan's sec second inaugural uh, presidential inauguration party. It was back in 1985. The little tiny voice you heard, that was uh, Emmanuel Lewis, little Webster from that TV series, Web I think it was Webster. Um, that's weird. I, did, I, I forgot that Emmanuel Lewis actually... Uh, <laughs> Introduced Don Rickles, and that's something that something else we have in common, right? Don and I are two shorter individuals with bald heads who have been introduced by Emmanuel Lewis. <laughs> uh, he did a little bit better. We both made fun of Emmanuel Lewis, but uh, he did a little bit better. Real quick before I get into Don Rickles, I uh, 
So back, oh, 2000, shit, 2013 maybe, I went to the Boston Comedy Festival, and the special guest judge there, Boston Comedy Festival is just a competition, right? You go through all the rings, and then if you win, uh, my friend Soreen Choksi, shout out, uh, won back the year that we both did it. Which is great. Uh, I think you get a, a few thousand dollars, and then hopefully, quote unquote, you get a little industry behind you, either managers or hopefully getting a te- television appearance. Uh, anyways, the the round that I was in, I was with a few of my friends, and Emmanuel Lewis uh, introduced us. He did some time up front. He's not a comedian. He was just kind of talking up front, and I was third to go up. I think there was maybe ten of us on this round. Uh, the crowd was not warmed up at all. They just kind of showed up. Emmanuel said, hey, this, that, and the other did like 10 minutes of just fucking talking. Uh, first comedian went up, uh, and did okay, I guess. And then second comedian went up who, both of these people were my friends, right? And they both went up and did like, man, they, they did fine, but the crowd was just so dead because they weren't ready. There, there was no warm up act. There was nothing. So it was basically, you know, the first few people were doing the host job. And, uh, I watched my second friend go out there and did, I thought he did well, but the crowd was just like, ah, ha, ha, kind of tittering and tattering. And uh, I have uh, I have anger issues, so I went out. I did my first joke, and it got about the same, right? It got about the ha ha ha, and I immediately just went off script and was like, "Oh, you guys got to fucking do better, all right? We're back there. This means a big fucking deal to us, and you guys aren't having a good time. Like, force yourself to have a good time of any night. You got to have this as a good night." It's like, how the fuck do you think we feel? I'm getting judged by Webster, and he came up here and did a shit set, but I can't fucking throw up any numbers for him. <laughs> Anyways, uh, far I guess you guys can have a, a quick guess on how well I did, and it was not good. I did not do good at all. I didn't get through. I think I alienated all of the judges, and they don't ever want to respond to my email. But Don Rickles did a great job. He made fun of Emmanuel Lewis, said he's not going to be. <laughs> he's the only black kid he's ever seen who he knows is never going to play basketball. Uh, and he was true. He became uh, he was a star, and then became a nice guy. He was actually very nice. I, I don't know why I took it out on him. Um, but yeah, that was Don Rickles at the Ronald Reagan second inaugural party, and it, it was huge. He was in like like weird round stage, uh, and he was Billy Crystal in uh, the documentary Mr. Warmth. It's a documentary about uh, um, Don Rickles. I watched it many times. Please go out and watch it for yourself. It's great. Um, but Billy Crystal said something very poignant, and I, I wish I came up with this, but it's it's very much his. He said that Don Rickles, above any other comedian, is the plate spinner comedian. He's the one that will go into a crowd, and he doesn't necessarily need to do jokes. He just needs to keep pinging every uh, body off of each other. So he'll make fun of somebody, then he'll make fun of somebody else, then he'll make fun of a third person, but ping the other two people back off of that third thing that he said. So it's very much like a vaudevillian plate spinner, right? You get a plate spinning, you gotta go to the other one, get it started, go back to the first one, go back to the second one, the third one, get the third one started, go back to the second one, go back to the first one, get the fourth one. Then you gotta keep, you just gotta keep them all spinning, right? And that's what Don Rickles does. He just kept playing back, right? He kept going back to the secretary, and then he spent a few times making fun of the band made fun of Charlton Heston like uh, if you're Moses I was a Japanese fighter right and then he's like are you getting this Ronnie are you, are you getting this right he just kept pinging off of everybody real quick fast there you go how you do what's your mother right and that's that's his whole act 
right? And I think that's a very dynamic act because maybe if you watch it or listen to it and you're not in the room, it loses some of its pizzazz, I think. I don't even know if that's true, but I'm gonna play worse. I'm gonna play devil's advocate, play worst case scenario, right? Loses some of its pizzazz because uh, you're not in the room feeling the kind of vitriolic. Uh, not vit ah, vitriolic is a good word, I think. I don't even know if I'm using that word correctly, but you you feel you feel like the primal insults going around, right? You, you feel the party nature that he's creating, uh, and that's I think Don Rickles' greatest gift that he was able to do. And again, he was able to do this in front of fucking Ronald Reagan. Now to put it in context, this was Ronald Reagan's second uh, second. Um, I want to say round. That's not right. Second uh, presidency. He was president-elect. Second inaugural party, right? And I believe this is like one of two or three presidential elections back in 1985 that were like a fucking landslide. Like Ronald Reagan at this time was the most popular president almost ever. I think it was like George Washington who was unanimous. And then uh, FDR on his like fourth, third or fourth presidential election. And then Ronald Reagan during this. Like nobody was more popular. And so, at least in my mind, for Don Rickles to have the, oh, the skill, first off, the, um, the, the, the credits, second, but then I think third and may, maybe most important, other than talent, but the the knowledge and how to insult somebody of that stature, and he also had the the uh, respect, right? After after I mean, this was 1985, so he's already been in the business, you know, 30 plus years on television, films, and stuff, and everybody knew who Don Rickles was. So when you hired Don. To do something like this, everybody immediately became one of his fans because they go, uh-oh, now, now it's time that we know what we're getting into. And what a fucking career he built off of that. that that'll be next time how much we go into that. But the, the career that he built off of becoming this insult party guy, right? That, you know, any other comic, you go up there, if fucking Jerry Seinfeld goes up on stage... And starts doing Don Rickles-esque crowd work. People immediately think that Jerry Seinfeld's a fucking prick. A racist, probably sexist, homophobe, whatever, right? It, everybody thinks that. And even people who are insult comics or say shit like that. Like, a, a good person to kind of... Like, if, if Jerry does that, yes, it's like completely out of the blue. But someone like Andrew Dice Clay, right? Andrew Dice Clay is known for being dirty and crass and blue, working that way, right? And almost insulting in nature by his jokes. And I don't even think he could go up and do Don Rickles' stuff, even though it's in the same vein, because where um, Jerry Seinfeld would look like a prick because it's coming out of nowhere, Andrew Dice Clay would look like a prick because he doesn't have any... Uh, at least through his character on stage, does not have any, pardon the pun, but he doesn't have any warmth. There's no uh, smile. There's no diffusing aspect of his personality. Andrew Dice Clay is very hard-hitting, right? And, you know, Jerry Seinfeld is very, is 
very diffusing, right? He's very smiley, and even though he complains a lot on stage, he's he's very diffusing as a comic. You like him right away. So it's basically like putting uh, a little bit of Andrew Dice Clay inside of, uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld and mixing it with, I don't know, Bob Newhart. Couldn't think of a third, but the, the first two are good. The third one falls apart real quick. But I do, I do enjoy the fact that Don Rickles has this alchemy of comedy that uh, really, really plays, um, I think, across time. Like, maybe that's what makes him such an immortal comic, is not so much that his act, his act state, you know, if you listen to his old uh, records, not that his act was like, holy shit, you gotta listen to this thing, yada, yada, yada. It's more, holy shit, you gotta go see Don Rickles live. And that way, I think he's like, a, maybe that's why he's a lot like my one of my other favorite entertainers of all time. Uh, and you guys already heard my tribute to Prince. If you haven't, I believe that's uh, episode 8, something like that, of uh, Just a Tad. But go back and listen. But yeah, Prince uh, passed away. But Prince was also known for being an amazing unparalleled live act and I think that was Don Rickles main charm yes he was culturally relevant in every decade that he's been alive yes he's uh, kind hearted and loyal enough to keep friendships which keeps you alive in this business in my opinion alive Uh, but I think it's mainly because of his live act that makes him so relevant that that word of mouth kind of cult uh, following that will always keep that money maker alive and always keep you relevant. If you have an act, if you have a live show that keeps people wanting more, and not only wanting more, but wanting more people around them to enjoy it. You ever you ever experience something so good? It's like good food, right? Whenever you have fucking all right, it's like great food. Fuck that. Good food is where you go, oh my god, this is really good, right? But great food is, holy shit, you have to try this. That's what Don Rickles is. Don Rickles is great food. Don Rickles is something so good, it fills you up and you're overflowing, so you got to give it to more people just, just to experience more pleasure. And I think that's what Don Rickles is. You go see his act and you go, this is a fucking great comedian. What a fucking gem of a gem of an old like Hollywood starlet person that that word of mouth goes out and he's still culture people I'm 30 years old I shouldn't fucking care about Don Rickles is what I'm saying but yet his ability as a comic as an innovator as a, as a person has touched me so much that a oh, fucking yeah of course he's gonna overflow into many people especially people that fucking grew up with Don Rickles so he's an amazing, amazing comic. Uh, stick around for part two. We will be bringing that out to you next week. And we will be diving into the innovation that he gave us, which was insult comedy, where others fail, Don succeeds. I appreciate the fact that you guys are listening every week. Uh, I see you guys listening. Please keep in touch with me. Um, my Twitter is at isamcomedy.com. That's also my Instagram, at isamcomedy.com. Facebook, same thing. 
uh, my website, all of it. We are on iTunes, we are on Stitcher, and it's all because of you guys listening. Please tell other people that are comedy nerds. Please keep in contact with me. And please remember, all of this is horseshit. So go out and find your own comedy. It's all subjective. I'm just here to give you what I like. And contact me. Tell me what you like. You guys are amazing. I love you to death. I will see you next week on the Dissecting the Fraud podcast. Because we are all here together. Love you all. Bye. What is your name, sir? The name's Harry Booth. Who are you, Harry? <laughs> what do you do for a living, Harry? I look after radio equipment on the Rhodesia Railways. Oh, it sounds exciting. Anyway, uh, you're a nice... How long have you been here? Uh, about two weeks. About uh, two weeks. Would you lift your arms, please? Yep. <laughs> He's clean. Okay, Harry, I hope peace comes to your country and good things for all of us, okay? Thank you very much. Good luck to you. Give Harry a nice thing. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back with my dear friend Carol O'Connor, Peter Marshall, Bobby Ramson, and Jose Molina.